Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventuresin.net. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and with me today is your co-host, Caleb Wells. Hey, Caleb. Hey, y'all. How's it going? Oh, winter is coming. Winter is coming. It is. Yeah. It was uh, it was 55 down here, which is which wow. versus you know getting to be cold <laughs> today. Yeah, we had so. a few snowflakes this week, so it's getting there, and mm. all the leaves have wow, fallen. Okay. Got to clean those up, all that kind of stuff. Lots of fun. So yeah, we uh we we get snowflakes like once every 10 years <laughs> for like a day. <laughs> so. what's, uh, where's the closest good. mountains? Is there any mountains in Louisiana? No. I think the closest mountains are probably once you get up into Tennessee. I mean, Mississippi has hills, like rolling hills, like hills and valleys, but no mountains that I can. No, no I think that's yeah, like it's no either Georgia or Tennessee. So, <laughs> no. Yep. Wow. All right. Let's bring on our guest. Let's welcome <laughs> yeah. Christian Wentz. Well, welcome. Christian. Hi, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you. For, thanks for having me. No, no problem. Oh, thanks for you. coming. Thank you. I, I actually, I do live in, in southern Germany, in Munich, uh, home of the Oktoberfest. Okay. Well, if, if it was to yeah. happen, which it doesn't this year for obvious reasons. Mm. And we are right. in the 40s today, right? So mm. they, they even yeah. assume we, we might have snow on, uh, on, on Christmas, yeah. for Christmas this year. And oh. Germany has mountains. <laughs> Germany does have mountains, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Louisiana, we have marshes and swamps and alligators. You know, so if you so it's it's a little like Australia. You step up out your front door and you got to be careful. Got to, you know. Still, I would take the weather right now. So, oh, yeah. Christian. Yeah. Hey, folks. This is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com/podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, DevChat.tv to Top End Devs, but what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Christian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, you sure. And so, how you got into development-related topics? Yeah, so um, I'm Christian Wentz. I, I started doing web development in... 1996 or something. So, oh, that's isn't that like 25 years ago? I, I suddenly feel really old, and I, and I never lo- looked back since, right? So I I, I stuck with that. Uh, looked like a gamble at first because you know websites. What's that like? It's what children do basically, or children can do. Might be the same these days, but still, uh, I, I I still work in the web, and uh, nowadays you can do fantastic things in the web. And I discovered the topic of web application security for me in 2000 or 2001. And, you know, I thought that that would be like like a phase, right? So I would do this for a couple of years and then the problem would vanish. 
but you know, then I was much, much younger. So I was, I was just naive, right? And the, the topic is as current as ever. So I'm still doing a lot of web application security. And uh, apart from that, I just uh, uh, support uh, companies in their digitization strategies and, well, implement web applications. I'm also an uh, ASP.NET MVP, uh, Microsoft ASP.NET MVP for since uh, 2004. So I've been using a lot of .NET in the last 17 years, if I do the math correctly, but I'm, I've also worked extensively with other technologies. I was an early adopter of PHP, an early adopter of JavaScript, and also did like a couple of other things. Um, and so I try to, you know, juggle a little bit the those technologies that, that are just, you know, mainstream and are used by many because then I can help many. Nice, nice. A so true yeah, full-stack developer, yeah. right? <laughs> no, I don't believe in full-stack. I just don't, right? So, you know, no, no seriously, I, I, mean, I mean this, I really, I mean this seriously. So a yeah. lot of people are full-stack developers and probably they're just, mm -hmm. you know, better than I am, uh, which, which mm. is totally fair. Mm. But uh, if you do full-stack, it really means that you know many things really well, mm -hmm. but I mm. always try to know a few things extremely well and i think in on, on long term that's uh, that's just more more valuable and more more useful mm. so that's why i early on decided to just quote unquote uh, do do web development and there you know mm -hmm. i i did a lot of javascript and mm -hmm. i i focused on a couple of uh, frameworks on the server and that's uh, that's 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 kind of the niche i took uh, for for myself right really full stack i i, I don't believe it or i'm just not smart enough to be you know, really full stack at least on a level that I think is, uh, is is good enough. Gotcha. So, for instance, CSS is something I always delegate to someone who you know knows knows how to do that much better than myself. So yeah, you can cool. you can definitely do a lot of wonderful things out in the web today, but you can also do a lot of dangerous things, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the the common ground of all web applications is the web browser, which is probably not the the most secure environment to run an application on, and also you have the HTTP protocol, which is also you know simple and therefore easy to forge, which just opens up a few interesting uh, opportunities for an attacker. And of course, opportunities for me to try to prevent that. Yeah. So I think our topic today is going to be the OWASP top 10, the new top 10. Yes. So That's tell correct. us, yeah, tell it came us out what, this year. oh, yeah, tell us what OWASP is. Yeah, absolutely. So so OWASP, the, the acronym stands for Open Web Application Security Project. It was founded in 2001, and it's a nonprofit organization, and their mission is to promote uh, web application security, right? So it's free for everyone to join. They have local chapters, so people, well, were meeting, now they're all meeting virtually, but so they, they have that. They have a lot of uh, documentation, they have cheat sheets, they have how-tos, they have checklists for security, and they also try to establish some standards for, for web application security. They also support uh, open source uh, software projects, for instance, a web application that's intentionally bad, which can be used to, you know, test security scanners, also test your own uh, hacking skills, and also uh, an, an open source uh, security scanner that uh, does uh, analysis of running websites and tries to fire attacks at them and uh, tries to, to find out uh, vulnerabilities, which is routinely used uh, in audits as well. The most uh, famous publication of OVASP, uh, however, is the OVASP Top 10. It's the list of the top 10 security vulnerabilities. So, uh, sorry. Uh, so I, I made the same mistakes that, that everyone that everyone is doing. So it's list of top 10 security risks. It's not the vulnerabilities, right? I thought that for a couple of years as well. And, you know, as you just noticed, I, I still sometimes think it's, it's vulnerabilities, but no, it's risks. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting, interesting uh, field here, right? So uh, the, the list tries 
to cover the risks, but of course, many risks map directly to certain vulnerabilities and some other risks are just more more general. But anyway, so, so the idea was just provide uh, or curate a list of top 10 risks and 10 is like an easy a number that's easy to digest. So people can look at that list and kind of have a, you know, a checklist or a to-do list. Okay, what do I have to, to look out for when doing a web application or when I'm assessing or auditing an existing application? Okay, these are the, the most 10 most important items uh, to, uh, to have a look at, right? And the uh, top 10 list first came out in uh, 2003, if I'm not mistaken, and then in 2004. And then they found out that it's, you know, just a lot of work to assemble that list. Actually, we, we can talk about it later if, if, if you want to. So they uh, changed it to a three-year cadence. So 2004, as I mentioned, then 2007, 2010, 2013, and then 2017. So they didn't uh, hit the 2016 deadline and there were internal discussions and then they changed the leadership of the project. So the new list came out in 2017 and... Um, well, then the next list was scheduled for 2020. But as we all know, 2020 probably was not the best year for non-for-profit work, right? Uh, because of some, some other issues uh, many, many, many people had. And the list was delayed as well. And the list uh, essentially came out in September of 2021. So uh, less than a month ago from, uh, sorry, less than two months ago uh, from uh, the day we are recording this. And this coincided with the 20th anniversary celebrations of OVASP, right? So that, that kind of was the reason, I believe, to, to, you know, to push the, the list over, over the finish line. Um, so OVASP uh, celebrated their 20th anniversary in September with a big online conference and everything. And one of the, the major sessions at that conference was the release of the new uh, 2021 list. So does the list change much from release to release or is it basically staying? It's in parts. So I think there are several uh, risks or attacks that are either so widespread or so universal that they are in each and every list. But of course, there always changes the order in which the list items appear on that list. Uh, the order is changing. And sometimes uh, the, the, the categories on those lists or the items on those lists are uh, renamed or two items are uh, merged into one or one is split into two, uh, stuff like that. Because they, they try to use a rather, how do I say, this data-driven approach to, uh, to generate that list. So what they're basically doing is there is the uh, CWE system, Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures, which is like a list with, I don't know, several hundreds kinds of uh, vulnerabilities, right? So uh, whatever, there's there's a vulnerability <laughs> SQL injection. I think it's it's number 89 or something. And there are also other attacks or other risks. And that goes up to, I think, 1,000 or even 1,000. And what they're doing then is, so uh, when a new list is created, and the process changed a little bit, but that's how, how it happened for the 2021 list. So people or companies who work in security, they, they do audits. They are encouraged to provide the results of their audits in a kind of an anonymized form. So what they basically say is, okay, I've audited 100 web applications last year, and 50 of them had... SQL injection. And 20 of them had this risk from the CWE uh, scheme. And 10 had this risk, right? And so, so they gather this. And they gather this from, you know, big companies, from software providers who do automated audits. So they have really huge numbers, but maybe the results are not super valuable. Also, you know, people who do smaller number of, uh, of, of audits, right? So, so everyone, including myself, can, can just uh, provide their, their data. 
And then they have the this big chunk of, of data. And then they try to put this into categories. And what they basically do is they try to merge several CWEs into one category. And this kind of creates the, the categories in the end. Well, eight of out of the 10 categories are, are generated that way. And so, for instance, the, the number one item in the uh, OVAS top 10 has, uh, uh, I think, over 30 CWEs inside, right? So several different aspects, attacks, risks, etc., are encompassed in one item of the OVS top 10. And of course, over the years, several of those categories, or however you want to call them, stayed the same. But on the other hand, sometimes they decide, okay, let's just put more into one category. So maybe let's rename it to reflect the, the broader scope. Or, okay, let's, let's focus on several items in that category because the numbers of that items are significant enough so that its position on the OVAS top 10 is justified. So maybe let's rename uh, that one. So in the um, OVAS top 10 of 2021, I believe uh, out of those uh, 10 entries, I think five were also in the old list under the basically the same name or with the same content. Two of them were... No, actually, sorry, seven of them were already in there. And basically, three of them are new, but contain an existing item from the old list. So basically, the old list, the previous list from 2017 is within the 2021 list, but the order is different and some things were just, you know, put together differently. And oh, actually, one item is new. So it's, it's like five plus four are still in there. And one item is new because, uh, as I mentioned, eight out of 10 items were kind of created or detected uh, based on those numbers. And then they did a survey basically saying, okay, is, is there any you know new upcoming uncommon attack you think is relevant, but maybe it's not reflected yet into the actual numbers, the actual numbers you get from the field? And then they looked at the results and then they just looked through the top items of that survey and said, okay, which of those items is not already in the list anyway? And then they picked the two highest ranked there, which are not, were not already in the list. And then we have eight existing ones plus two equals the OVAS top 10. So it's like data-driven and survey-driven. And, you know, they tried to make the, make the pro, uh, process as, as data-driven and, let me say, deterministic as uh, possible. But yeah, still, I mean, just the way how they put different CWEs into one category, that's just, that's something where you can say, okay, I would have done this differently, right? But I mm. do still see C-value in that list, right? Because all the CWEs are in there. So it's data-driven, but still subjective. We added a link to it in the show notes, but looking at it, it does look like there's there's a, quite a few changes, and it's interesting how some of them have shifted, like the location, like the number one risk in 2021 was the fifth highest in 2017, right? Yeah. Is that because of the CWEs that are part of it? Or is that just because you think it's a it's a, a better vector of attack for hackers? What goes into to that? I think there are, there are several factors uh, in it. I think, indeed, uh, you're right. The uh, the top five entry from 2017 is now number one. And actually, I, I did a prediction last year at a conference uh, where I was asked the same thing. So how would the new list look like? And that was actually my my hunch that this item would be number one, but not not just only because of its strength, but because the higher ranked items, some of them were just ranked too high. 
right? Because of they came in from the survey, so they were not data uh, driven, and also they they were just ranked too high, or they they just appeared more than, for instance, I would see them in my uh, in my audit. All right. Ah, if I can. So what uh, is number quick. one? Uh, number one is broken access control. I mean, you can tell it from the name, right? Broken access control is a super, super generic term, right? And as I already mentioned, there are over 30 CWEs in it. I mean, what does broken access control mean? It means everything with regards to authentication, uh, authorization. And there are so many, so many different aspects where uh, authentication and authorization could, uh, could go wrong, right? So uh, you could have endpoints where you just forgot the, the, the author to configure the authorization with, with many web frameworks doing authorization basically means okay you have an attribute to a method or you have an configuration option basically say okay this resource in order to access it you have to be authorized forgetting that is a risk right and this 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 happens right but i often see for instance is that we have an endpoint and because people don't understand their, their, their framework correctly they authorize that endpoint for whatever get and post, the get and post HTTP methods, but they don't for other HTTP verbs, right? But that's basically a configuration issue, but it just fits into those that, that broken access control uh, area. One of the reasons why I think that broken access control uh, was bumped up in uh, the 2021 list is because of an attack called cross-site request forgery. It's an old attack and much too almost everyone's surprise, cross-site request forgery fell out of the 2017 OVAS top 10 list. It wasn't all the, the preced, uh, preceding uh, editions of the list, but it wasn't in the 2017 list. And the kind of reasoning that, that OVAS gave was that nowadays most frameworks have some kind of cross-site request forgery protection built in, so it's less likely to happen. And I mean, that, that could very well be be the case, but on the other hand, I was in my in my audits in the audits I conducted. I was finding cross request forgery a lot, right? So for me, it was still an an existing issue. And in the 2017 list, from the numbers alone, I think cross request forgery would have been at number 12. And what they did in the new list is they just added cross-site request forgery, the CWE for cross-site request forgery, technically, to the broken access control category, which just gave it some some extra boost. And so that was one of the reasons why it was just move, moving past uh, some of some of the other items on that list, right? There are other reasons as well, but this this also changed the position. And I think this this is another answer to to your previous question. So right, do do things change in that list? I mean, if you just look at the category names, nothing has changed. But if you look at what is now part of the category and especially with the 2021 list, it's super transparent uh, on the uh, OVS website, then yes, something changed because one, as I think, rather major attack was just added to broken access control. I would argue that the at least the impact of cross-site request forgery in the next edition of the OVS Top 10, so that should be the 2024, well, rather 2025 edition, will be uh, smaller because most kind of variants of cross-site request forgery basically rely on the browsers doing HTTP requests to another site involuntarily, right? So you go to some third-party site and get redirected. And then after that redirect, they communicate with a site they're already locked in at. But uh, this, of course, requires the use of cookies and that cookies are sent with a cross-site uh, request. 
that's the way how cookies work. But nowadays, browsers uh, or modern browsers uh, support same-site cookies. So we can basically tell cookies, okay, if this is not a same-site request, only send it if these prerequisites are met. And in the current versions of uh, Google Chrome, all cookies default to a setting where they are not automatically sent a cross-site request, at least not a post cross-site uh, request. And Firefox will probably follow in 2022. So even if there is a cross-site request forgery vulnerability in a web application, chances are that it might not be abused by an attacker because the browser prevents that. So the situation will get better here. And that's, I think that's a common trend these days in web application security that developers do not necessarily get better. Unfortunately, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a developer myself, right? But, but still, I mean, if I, if I look at code I wrote a decade ago, I, I mean, you would, you would just, you know, you would just shut off my mic now and try, <laughs> try to find someone else. But frameworks get better to some degree. But of course, attackers get better as well. But browsers get better in terms of providing more security mechanisms that can be activated easily, thus preventing uh, attacks. And indeed, many modern frameworks just have cross-site request forgery attacks, uh, cross-site request forgery uh, protection features basically out of the box or easy to, to enable. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. Actually, I found your comment about, right, developers don't necessarily get better. Uh, interesting, because I, I don't disagree, but I don't think it's specific developers. I think quality developers get better as their career goes on, but there's That's such right, a yeah. need for more developers in larger developer space that you get juniors in and maybe they're not in the right environment or they haven't had the right training and they make the same mistakes we made 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just this ever-repeating cycle. I didn't know about the changes Google has, has made as far as uh, CSRF is concerned, but that makes sense, right? And like you said, that yeah. you, you're cutting it off at the source. Regardless of what the developers do, they're handling it in a way to where it, it limits the exposure. Exactly. So that's great. Exactly. I mean, it's not 100% protection, but still, it, it, it helps. I mean, I was not super happy when Google changed that, because, when Chrome changed, the Chrome team changed that, because it broke certain... Uh, flows uh, through certain applications, right? So I, I'm not sure if that was a super nice thing to do. But on the other hand, from a security perspective, it uh, does does help to to some degree. And I mean, security is a hard hard sell anyway in in a project, right? Because you don't see the you don't see security. You you see the absence of security if a hack was successful. But apart from that, I mean, it's like it's like brushing your teeth, right? You don't see if someone is not brushing their teeth until it's too late, right? And yeah, same with security. Yeah. I was talking with a friend the other day. He's a doctor. 
And um, okay. we were talking about what he does for a living, right? And I was like, well, you guys do a better job than we do. I was like, because in general, we get a lot of pressure for for deadlines, right? And those deadlines aren't always realistic. And so even the best developers can end up cutting corners to get things done in the time that they've been given. And he he said, yeah, he said, that that doesn't happen with us. He said, he said, do you you know who my boss is? And I I said, you don't have one. He's like, no, you're my boss. He's like, the client is the boss. Not in, right? It's a different kind of client, but he's like, you know, it's, if, if we don't take the time and do it right, you know, lives are in danger, which is funny because in development, it's the same thing. It's just, it's just, uh, further down the line, right? In a lot of cases, it, you can have a similar impact, but, but it's not as obvious, right? Cause it's not that one to one relationship. So. Thought that was interesting. You know, in, in the right group of people, I always say I'm uh, being a developer is like being a being a heart surgeon, because you 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 know you work on on the heart of a a system. I might argue that maybe a heart surgeon is doing a more important job than I do, but still, I think it's a it's a great analogy because if you know if the heart surgeon messes up, it's not good. <laughs> but same thing if a developer messes up. So another thing about security is security doesn't generally make money. But it can sure cost yeah. money. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so I think you know when people prioritize things as far as features and things like that is why they they kind of go, well, that's going to make us money today. Maybe we can get lucky yeah. and avoid the cost of insecurity in the future and do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. it always ends up costing you. Oh, yeah. always, one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, do you want to go over some of the other top? Yeah, things? sure. Let's things. let's go. Let's go through the items of the list. I think some okay. of them are rather quick uh, to discuss. Okay. Uh, some okay. of them may be more elaborate. And number two is uh, cryptographic failures. Uh, I think four out of those ten items have the, the the word failure in them. So it's like the the most important term in the 2021 list. And cryptographic failures. I mean, when I read this the, the first time, right, I thought, okay, wow, that this sounds intimidating. What does that mean? Uh, but basically, it's it's the same thing that was called sensitive data exposure in 2017. Um, so basically, basically, this means, I mean, there are some CWEs in that area where, where it basically says uh, you are implementing uh, cryptographic algorithms in, in an insecure or incorrect fashion. But on the other hand, chances are that you do not implement any cryptographic algorithms, but you have a modern stack and the modern stack does that for you, right? So the things that you that you can that you have an impact on in your web application that is part of that item is that you encrypt the traffic, right? So in essence, that means you use HTTPS. And that sounds that sounds simple, right? A- and justified. I mean, if, if you have an application that is still using HTTP, then, then the browsers will mock you, right? So they'll show warnings and say not secure. And I think that there are websites dedicated to, you know, shaming you, right? Which probably is not the best approach. But, but anyway, I, I digress. So just, you know, redirecting uh, or rewriting URLs from HTTP to HTTPS uh, helps here. There is a little bit more actually you can do. There is a HTTP strict transport security, HSTS. And that basically consists of an HTTP header called a strict-transport-security. And if the server sends this header to a modern browser, might even include IE, but yeah, let's talk about modern browsers rather. Then the server tells the browser basically, next time you are talking to me, use HTTPS or WSS when doing WebSockets. So use a secure communication mechanism and do that. And these are like the two only options you have here. Do that for this amount of seconds. So basically a year. 
or two years or whatever, and do this for all subdomains. And next time, so let's let's just assume whatever Google.com is using that. If Google.com sends this HTTP header, strict transport security, and tells the browser next time use HTTPS, and then the user for no apparent reason does HTTP colon slash slash Google.com hits enter, the browser sends an HTTPS request because of that header. And the idea here is that one of the common attacks against web applications, especially those that uh, use sessions for authentication. So, Oh, well, not, not really for, uh, yeah, for authentication, I think is, is the right term. So you log into a system and then you get a session cookie. And in that session, the information is stored. Hey, this is user Christian and he's, well, that these are here, his privileges. I don't know. And so the, the client only gets the session ID, which is good, right? Because the session ID alone is, is worthless, at least to the client, because it does not contain any clear text information. But if that session ID is transferred via HTTPS, then, you know, depending on which network you are, then this information might be intercepted and stolen. So session hijacking is, is the term here. On the other hand, an HTTPS is end-to-end encryption, right? So uh, when doing an HTTPS request, client and server negotiate encryption and only then the request is being sent. So it's more or less secure, right? I mean, it's a Pandora's box, right? With with certificates and but basically, let's just say it's reasonably secure. I, I think that's that's the right way to say it. Now, when you use HSTS, every subsequent request is more or less guaranteed to use HTTPS. So from that moment on, when the strict transport security header is being sent to the client, the whole communication is secured, which just limits the vectors for session hijacking and related attacks. And it's it's what I call a quick fix, right? one HTTP header and you just close several attack vectors at once. So when doing that, there is only one insecure request, the very, very first one. The one request where you get the strict transport security header in response. And all modern browsers, they come with a list of domains where HSTS defaults to on, right? And of course, you know, if you're using Google Chrome, what a surprise, all of the Google domains, like all the Google country domains, google.com, google.de, google.co.uk, but also YouTube and whatever is on that list. But my website is on that list as well. And why is that? Because there is a web service, we can put the link in the, the show notes actually, where you can add your domain to that list. And the list is then part of Google and Chromium. It's also used by then everything that depends on that, Edge, Opera, and also Firefox, right? So if you're sure that from now on, you will only accept HTTPS when someone talks to a web application, then putting your, your website or your domain on that list might be an interesting idea. And by the way, then list might be an interesting idea. And by the way, then... It's interesting because... Right, with developing, at least in .NET, when you spin up a new project, yeah. even with .NET you know, 5 and 6, right, uh, you have IIS Express, which I never use, and then you have your .NET Kestrel, right? But it still gives you the option of HTTP and HTTPS. And typically, when I create an application, I just wipe out the HTTP because when I do the HTTPS, it's going to ask you, hey, do you want to create a local certificate? And you say yes, and you're off and running. Do you think there's a reason why we still have that option or that's even applicable, right? Because when I develop, I want to develop yeah. against HTTPS to make sure that, yeah. you know, cross-site origins and all that stuff factor in. So what do you think about that? 
I mean, yeah, I uh, completely understand um, that using HTTPS as early as possible is just the best way to go because the, the production website uses HTTPS as well. I mean, there are some... There are some technical challenges involved. Uh, for instance, creating a trusted uh, certificate for localhost is uh, probably not as easy because localhost means something different to everyone. And so it's usually self-signed. And the other problem is if you go to your browser and you type in, let's stick with the example, google.com uh, Google is a bad example. Some random website that does not exist.com. I mean, I don't prefix the protocol when, when typing in URLs and you probably don't as well. So yep. the first request yep. should be HTTPS. I mean, since you, since you mentioned .NET specifically, I, I have to, I have to give some, some props to .NET. So that the, the project templates, what they basically do is they first try to find out is this uh, development mode or production mode? And if it's production mode, they enable HSTS. They have relatively low default yeah, values, nice. like 30 days, yeah. but they do enable it. Okay. But of course, they don't enable it for local testing because right. then, you know, local testing, certificates, etc. you may just want to use HTTP and you would kind of lock yourself out of your web application if HSTS was uh, was enabled for, for uh, on the development system as well, right? So that's, that's kind of the, the sensible defaults they, they are using. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level you know whether you're beginner going to intermediate intermediate going to advanced whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance i've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level so if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So All now right. I'm going to move us into pick time. So go with okay. picks. Caleb, what's your pick? I've got a few things to choose from because I actually I have started building a list. I ran out like two weeks ago, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> right. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta have a little backlog. One of them I, that's, uh, I find really interesting. It's called, it's a book called the art of impossible. It's by Stephen okay. Kotler. He, he focuses on flow research and getting into flow. Mm-hmm. And so this book, he's done a, a bunch of books, you know, focusing on different things, but this book is basically a primer on getting into flow more. And by building your lifestyle and your life around um, getting in the flow states, so there, there's a lot in there, but it's uh, it's a really interesting read. So, all right, that that's fantastic. That's that sounds actually really interesting because I like being in the flow, but you know there, there are days where it's easier to oh yeah achieve that. Yeah, I, I wish I wish I could get <laughs> in the flow is, every day. It's not. <laughs> that's not yeah. the case. <laughs> all right, Christian, uh, what pick do you have for us and our listeners? Uh, so what do I have to pick? I'm so not used any to the TV shows, uh, books, could... activities that you're involved in that you just want to let our listeners know about. So my one of the things I love doing is is going to concerts, but you know these days it's uh, it's a bit challenging, right? So, so because, who... uh, <laughs> they, they are all canceled. Uh, so so I watch more TV than I usually do, and I started watching uh, um, Squid Games. But uh, Squid Game, sorry. But I'm in the middle of the season, so please don't contact me with any spoilers. And even worse, I I laughed. Um, a Money Heist, the the show on I believe it's it's on in, in the US, it's on Netflix as well. Uh, like that and uh, that is uh, just 
Yeah, and uh, but again, no no spoilers, please, because uh, so I think they just roll. Oh, no, they are rolling out the second half of the uh, of the final season in like a week or two. So I didn't watch the first half of the season because you know, talking about coming into flow. Once you started. Uh, watching that, it's it's hard to stop. So you're binging, and uh, then of course, if if there's a sudden end and maybe even a cliffhanger, then just say, oh, oh. So that's it. Uh, I'm and I mostly like uh, reading uh, reading fiction. So I think I've read all I don't know thirty books of uh, Jeffrey Deaver, but there's still a pile of three I have to work through. So, but I try to read not uh, that many um, books related to work. Um, so who's your favorite band? But maybe it's a good thing. My favorite band, oh, that's that's super hard to say. I think so. I was I was talking to Caleb prior to the show, so I I, I love going to Aerosmith concerts, and so I hope to be able to see them once more. I, I did see them in Louisiana, uh, sorry, in, in in New Orleans actually, to be to be exact, uh, like decade ago or, or, yeah. or even longer. So uh, that's what I like. So old old style, old old men still doing what they've been doing yep. for for yep. fifty I'm years. Right? You know, Aerosmith, ACDC. All right. You know, yeah, I, I did rush. see them in Munich as well. I see DC actually a couple of years yeah. ago. I even saw Guns N' Roses, but that was that was interesting experience. Now with the yeah. new old lineup, awesome. All right, so my pick this week is right. going to be the game Diablo 2 Resurrected. Okay. So you know, I remember playing Diablo 2, the remastered version, first came out. You know, way back okay. when yeah. remastered. Yeah. And my kid used to watch me play it all the yeah. time when he was really little, and he started playing games and things like that too. So yeah. they've released or re-released yeah. it. With completely upgraded nice. graphics, a lot of gameplay engine, wow. everything is still there that was in the original game. It just has now been modernized, so a lot of the detail in the okay. graphics is is much much better. And so they're making a little bit of updates, and so it might be you know fun to play because I I've recently heard that Diablo Four has been delayed because of issues mm-hmm. and lots of things going on with, with Blizzard. So if you want a little bit of a uh, you know, retrospective gaming. But uh, with the modern graphics, check out Diablo 2 Resurrected. I think the original one, when did this come out? Like 20 years ago? 2001, yeah, 2000, something like that? I, I still yeah. remember playing that. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. First, that one wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same here, yeah. same here. Oh, wow, nice. Very amazing. You know, when you start playing it, how, how much you then suddenly can remember, which you already forgot, right? Isn't it? <laughs> yep. So, so you still know how to how to play the game, right? Even though you haven't done it maybe well, before. One thing that's nice about the, the Resurrected yeah. is you can actually toggle the graphics back and forth. So you can, uh, while you're playing, you can toggle <laughs> okay. and say, what yeah, did yeah. this look like before? It's like, oh, big difference. And then they redid all the cutscenes, nice. which is that, that's awesome. So even even the, the original cutscenes, I was going, why don't they make a movie? Why don't they make a movie? But, you know, they redid them completely and made them, you know, much higher res, things like that. So check it out. All right. I will. So if our, our listeners want to get in touch with us at the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can get me on Twitter. I am at dotnet superhero and dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> and um at caleb wells coats all right thanks guys great show yeah. thanks for yeah. for coming on the show and talking about OWASP. yeah thanks Christian. Christian. thanks it was great it's been my pleasure thanks for having and we'll me. catch everybody else on the next episode of adventures in.net bye y'all bye bye bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.